So often in All About Blockchain, we hear from engineers, from lawyers, from business school people talking about use cases built on blockchain. And today we are going to be looking at blockchain from a humanities perspective. Joining us is Joey Orr, the Andrew W. Mellon Curator for Research at the Spencer Museum of Art. Joey directs the Integrated Art Research Initiative that infuses art into the research culture of University of Kansas. This brings together academic disciplines like sciences and humanities together in collaboration with the museum. Joey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lauren. Great to be here. We had a call a few weeks ago, and at first I thought we'd be talking about the challenges the art world faces that could be solved with blockchain, right? Like exploring how this tech can record art ownership transfers over time to reduce theft and counterfeiting while keeping a permanent record of art holdings. I mean, listeners, you may have heard about blockchain art collective that promises unprecedented authentication, provenance checking, and collection management for art, all by using blockchain-based ledger system. Because as we have learned, this tech enables the creation of an unalterable, aggregated digital record of provenance capabilities. But we're not going to cover how to solve for what has plagued museums and galleries for years. Instead, I'm hoping, like I have, you will become fascinated by what Joey is doing at the Spencer Art Museum how they are commissioning leading artists to look at integrating blockchain into artwork. What? (laughs) (laughs) Joey, let's start with your background in the museum, your history with art. So it's a a little bit of an unusual path. Um, My graduate degrees are both hybrid. And so I've been trained in what's commonly called artistic research, which is thinking about research and artistic practices together. And even to push that a little bit further to think about artistic practice as research method that actually produces its own forms of knowledge. So that was my more formal training. I started at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and then Emory University. After I did a curatorial postdoctoral fellowship at the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago, there was a job listed for a brand new position at the Spencer Museum of Art. And the position was curator for research. And I started reading it. It was a job that was asking for someone to come in and work with artists and researchers across the sciences and humanities together on hybrid projects. And the cool thing for me was that that's exactly how I had been trained, but I didn't know I was ever going to find a position where someone was going to pay me to actually do it. So I was really excited to actually find the job. And I I think there's not really many other positions like it in the United States, honestly. So the idea is that the Spencer is a museum that's embedded in a Research One university. And therefore, we should be active participants in our research ecology. That means several things. For one, it means sometimes explaining to researchers that we're not bringing artists in to illustrate their research, but that we think artists are researchers in their own right. And the other is to start thinking about the academic museum as making contributions to knowledge productions in university cultures. So that's the job. We try to focus on one kind of broadly conceived idea each academic year so that we'll appeal to researchers of many kinds, artists and researchers in the sciences and humanities. Generally, there's an exhibition component and programming and um And then we try to publish out so that we go on record with the interdisciplinary projects that we're doing. When you say that artists are researchers in their own right, do you mean because they are cataloging history and culture and anthropology like that? Um, Well, actually, you can think of it in several different ways. So one way to think about it is that 
artists are sort of contributing to the knowledge about their own practices and their own mediums, right? So in other words, a contemporary installation artist may be pushing off of the history of those practices and breaking new ground for that field. But by the same token, artists are also, of course, reflecting on and often critiquing society. And so sometimes their research involves historical context. Sometimes it involves different kinds of scientific perspectives. And so in in addition to making contributions to the field of visual art, they're often making contributions to other knowledge domains. Do you think that artists have adopted technology sometimes faster than the general public? (laughs) Well, that's a really interesting question. Uh, Maybe in different ways. I mean, you know, in the early history of uh, video art, of course, you know, all of a sudden video cameras were available and we didn't know everything that was possible in that medium. And artists, of course, um, were experimenting in really interesting ways that I think did impact that medium beyond its field. So yeah, I do think that happens. Good question. Okay, I'd love to get into what turned you on to blockchain in the first place. When's the first time you heard the word blockchain? What did you do to go about learning it or considering it as a medium for your museum? How I heard about blockchain, I think, is probably how most people have. I heard about Bitcoin, and it sounded super nerdy. And it was something that I didn't understand very well, but I knew that it probably had the potential some future potential for value and that I probably was going to have to see it and understand it better than I did at some point in the future. So what happened was a distinguished uh, professor, Dr. Perry Alexander, who's in electrical engineering and computer science here, he's a friend of the museum and he's, he's a researcher who understands that the museum is a place where he can come to ask his research questions And so he made an appointment with myself and the director of the museum, Sarah Lynn Reese-Hardy, and wanted to talk to us about blockchain. And so we had several pretty long, involved conversations about what blockchain was, sort of logistically, technically, what it might mean, kind of more philosophically. And we had several of those conversations. And finally, Perry said, you know, I want to commission a work of art that is a blockchain. This, of course, is made possible by the University Blockchain Research Initiative. (laughs) So we're being supported by this effort. Do you think this is the first kind of commission of its kind? It depends on what we do with it. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) What are your goals with this project? Each time I oversee an interdisciplinary collaboration. The participants in those conversations and those projects have different goals and have different needs and also have different personalities. And so what, you know, I used to think of as like the dream best transdisciplinary project that could ever exist. You know, actually, that's not the best thing for everyone. It just depends on what everyone's trying to do together. So the way it happened was I did a little thinking and research on my own about what artists I thought could make a really meaningful contribution. I invited two contemporary artists. One is Simon Denny, who is from New Zealand, but is based in Berlin. And Simon has done extensive thinking about blockchain, not just the technology, but also the corporate cultures and corporate mythologies that have sprung up around it. 
And he's been doing thinking about this for many years now. The other artist that I thought of was Stephanie Dinkins. And Stephanie is based in New York. And most of the work that I was familiar with from Stephanie was actually on artificial intelligence. And she's done a lot of work with an AI called Bina48, which is an African-American woman who she is developing a relationship with. So by bringing Simon and Stephanie in, I was I knew I would be working with artists who were comfortable working with technology. And I knew that I was also working with artists who were going to be critical of the form and keeping in mind things like gender, race, indigeneity, different forms of inclusivity that were really important for us to this project. I'll have to admit to you, I did a little homework. I've never had so much fun doing homework for a podcast before. And I saw that Stephanie Dinkins was having a like an immersive web experience show at Sundance Film Festival. And of course, this year, I watched that from my laptop in bed. But it was her working with artists with VR and other new media. The whole show was illuminating power and resilience of Black women's stories. It was fascinating. I was really excited that this was one of your selections to see how this unfolds on campus. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of admiration for her work because we think about emergent technologies, you know, being born out of rooms with closed doors with white men in it, with maybe not a lot of consideration about how, for instance, things like algorithms might negatively impact audiences or communities that aren't being considered when that technology is being developed. And so from my perspective, you know, Stephanie is really thinking about like, what if we make sure that we actually have women of color in rooms like that? You know, and so for me, that was, you know, the combination of having Simon and Stephanie together was like the dream. Does sound like the dream. It's great to hear about the contemporary artists that you chose to work with. And I'm excited to see what they roll out. What other team members do you have involved in this project, whether from the Spencer Art Museum or outside of the museum from campus or other industry players? Lauren, as you know, you caught us very, very early in our process. Um, It's just barely off the ground, which is why I hope you'll actually maybe invite some members of our team back a little bit later to weigh in once we're further into our process. But at the moment, the conversations have been among Simon, Stephanie, myself, and Perry Alexander. The one thing that I want to say that is so unique about this opportunity is that we're able to bring together two really strong, interesting contemporary artists who are capable of doing some really amazing work with a team of engineers and coders who can work together with them to help think through the ideas together and realize something. I mean, one of the things you see, you know, when you look at some folks kind of outside of the blockchain field trying to take it on in experimental ways is their interaction with the blockchain technology tends to be very cosmetic or speculative and not necessarily actually leveraging the technology itself. And the fact that I have someone like Perry Alexander and his whole team working with these two artists means I think we're going to be able to do something really groundbreaking and innovative. So I get to regularly work with Professor Alexander, and I know he often includes student researchers in his projects. When you talk about engineers contributing to the coding, will some of those be students? 
Absolutely. Actually, we're already working with students. So I'm sure you know this, but one of the things that Ripple supports is the KU Blockchain Research Institute, and that is an undergraduate student organization. So they have been trying to identify what research is going on in blockchain across the university. And so they reached out to me and we sort of helped build out that list. So we actually already have on the books in just a couple of weeks, there's going to be a program, it's called Red Hot Research. It takes place at the Commons at the University of Kansas. And it usually centers on one topic, but it brings in researchers from very different fields who are looking at the same topic. It's three undergraduate students and two graduate students from fields as diverse as um, business to ecology and evolutionary biology, talking about the applications of blockchain technology. And then in conjunction with that at the Spencer Museum, we have a gallery called the Brousseau Center for Learning. And, And this gallery is a series of glass cases that enables us to pull objects of art from our collections for uses in classes and for students, the exhibitions are up for about two to three weeks at a time to just to support the educational process. And so we've pulled some objects from our permanent collection that we think are in conversation with ideas associated with blockchain. So people who are interested in hearing the students talk about blockchain can also make an appointment at the museum to come by and see the small exhibition of objects we've pulled to get some thinking done. Essentially, what we're doing with the students right now is trying to lay the groundwork for a longer conversation about blockchain. So this project is scheduled to be sort of the center of our exhibitions and programming in the Integrated Arts Research Initiative for the academic year 2022-2023. I just love how thoughtful you've been about integrating the educational process. I'm so glad you gave a shout out to the Kansas University Blockchain Club students because they, they're amazing. We experienced some of them logging on to RippleX's open source toolkit. It's a platform where we publish tools they can use to build on the XRP ledger. And within a weekend of learning about it, they started building apps. We had one student, Nathan Nichols. We actually have a podcast where he's featured. You can go back in time and hear it, where he builds a tutoring app to be used on campus. And well, of course, we now hired him. He was one of our interns and we had to snatch him up, right? But um, yeah. But this is how students get jobs, right? They take chances, they experiment, they, you know, collaborate not just with their their professors on campus, but with industry, and this is how they get into new fields. So quickly, back to Dinkins and Denny. They have in common that they both work with technologies, blockchain and AI. They're both invested in diversity, equality, access, inclusion. Have they met yet? We've only met digitally so far. Of course, we have the challenge of Simon being in Berlin. So I'm not sure when we'll actually be working in person, although, of course, it's the goal during our academic year that focuses on blockchain that they'll both be at KU. And will they work in silos on this project or will they end up collaborating to come up with something? I think the idea right now is that we're working as a team. So the way I see it is that Simon and Stephanie will be working together and in collaboration with Perry. Now, Joe, I think it was our last conversation where you mentioned that artists have different aesthetic than engineers and scientists. Will understanding blockchain from their perspective provide additional insight into new applications and uptake of this technology? Well, I hope so. And I think maybe one of the 
easiest ways to get at that question would be for us to maybe talk a little bit about some of the ideas that have come up during our conversations. Would that be all right? Definitely. Please share. One of the things that we talked a lot about was blockchain's ability to kind of what you call provenance at the beginning of the of the show, of the podcast, but that its history as it grows stays linked to you know each new block that the history gets added to and continues through the chain. And one of the things we were thinking a lot about through a humanities perspective was when decisions get made with disregard for history, right? And um, so culturally, what what does that mean for us? Might we think about actually making particular kinds of histories that can be agreed upon? So what I mean by that is, can you think of like maybe a history that we all know, like the United States? Some people might think of it as starting with Columbus and other people would probably correct you and say that it starts with indigenous communities. And so how interesting would it be to have a tick at each node where a particular community is agreeing upon a series of events that creates its own chain about that history and how we might take, you know, um, a chain from different communities who experience that same history very differently and intertwine them to get a more complex picture of what's going on. So you get at the truth. I didn't say that. Um, it's a fun game to play nevertheless one of the things that we're thinking about is what is a blockchain technology and how does it come about you know and and some of my understanding is that you know blockchain becomes something to sort of answer the question you know how do we protect our privacy and prevent ourselves from bad actors and for me that's not machine code taking the place of social relations, that's machine code joining in the process of social relations. And so we've been thinking about not so much what blockchain might do for us, but what might blockchain learn from us. So we've been thinking a lot about care as the seat of governance And what might it be like to think about, you know, if you think about blockchain, for instance, as like a trusted path or something like that, where do those ideas come from culturally? And and might we look back to like community or familial or tribal structures of care as ways to understand blockchain and also what blockchain might do for communities? So you're flipping the paradigm. You're looking at it like tech is possible because these aspects existed in culture instead of the other way around? Yes, very well said. That's exactly sort of sort of what I have in mind. And this notion that the blockchain's history might be something that could be put to the service of community care, I think is something that's very interesting to the collaborators. There actually is another thing which came up, which has been kind of <laughs> fun. And when we're talking about working in communities, then we have a particular challenge with blockchain technology, which is its accessibility. So, you know, when I was first researching, um, (laughs) you're going to laugh at me, when I was first researching blockchain, I was thinking at one point, like, what does blockchain look like? And, you know, what I've seen is that, again, the, the, the interface either becomes sort of speculative 
and sort of sci-fi looking, or it becomes so literally about the code that no one with at least a certain level of expertise can interact with the actual technology. That's so interesting. When I think of the visual brand of blockchain, I feel like we consistently see different nodes being interconnected through lines. So there's connections, but there's distinctness and it's decentralized. Like I think a lot of the art has to do with the decentralization, but that it's intertwined. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm getting at a little bit here is is how does someone who isn't a coder interact with blockchain? How do they actually use blockchain for community purposes? And the reason I'm asking this question is because asking someone who knows enough about entering a command line in a PC <laughs> is not the same thing as asking someone who doesn't. And so if we're thinking about real accessibility, then we also have to start thinking about user interface and how the machinations of blockchain might become visualized in a way that makes it more accessible. It's one of the questions we've been thinking about. So when you talk about accessibility, are you talking about open sourceness? Like instead of there being you know, spectators in a gallery or people that get to procure and hold the art because they buy it, own it, that it's no longer, it changes ownership? Well, now you're bringing up something totally different because it's the question of, you know, this happens a lot when you're, when you're doing sort of experimental work, which is to say, like, what is it that's going to be in the gallery? Like, what are you going to actually show people? <laughs> and, you know, I should say I've spent a lot of my professional research on dematerialized works of art. That is to say that works of art that have no or very little material components. So I'll give you an example, one that Perry likes to uh, talk about, which is we have a wall installation piece in the Spencer Museum of Arts collection by an artist named Solowit. And Solowit was a conceptual artist. And so what that means is that the object of art is the idea. So what the museum actually owns is a certificate of authenticity that gives us the right to reproduce the work anytime we want to show it. So right now, his wall installation is on display at the business school at KU. And when that loan expires, the work will be destroyed. And what will remain in the museum is the certificate of authenticity. So, you know, in some ways, it's kind of interesting to be thinking about blockchain too, right? Because we have like the sort of immaterial form that gives us the permission and the instructions to produce this work of art. And so now thinking about how does a blockchain somehow materialize as a visual experience for visitors to the museum is a question that we'll have to think about as we move further into the process. Wow, you've got my brain firing on all synapses right now. I mean, I can see how interesting your research roundtables must go on all this experimental art. And taking a step back, I wish I could say I'm more familiar with the art world beyond maybe a pedestrian, you know, visiting museums on a regular basis. Is incorporating technology and art popular 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there there are entire collections that are dedicated to nothing but like sort of um, technology-based art, what's sometimes called new media. So yes, absolutely. And, and that's still, although not new, it's always emergent because the technology is always changing. So for instance, um, when you're going to um, collect uh, a work of art that's based on technology, one of the things you've got to sort through is as technology changes, can the work of art move over onto the latest platforms or is it important to the artist that the media always be played and shown through its original technology? So there's lots of challenges and issues with, with those kinds of things. Would you say it's becoming increasingly popular? As more technologies become available, artists get their hands on them and experiment with them and take them in all kinds of new directions. You know, that's another kind of um, challenge too, is that artists often are using these technologies for purposes other than they were intended. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm wondering, in general, what is the reception towards this kind of experimental art or technology and art? And is there a difference between the art critics and the general public? It's absolutely possible that a critic will come in and write up the show and weigh in on its merits or challenges. But the other thing that we're invested in is its contribution to knowledge production. You know, is does it does it advance our thinking about social context for blockchain technology? Does the relationship between the artists and the professor and researcher provide us with new insights that um, can benefit technology and humanity? And, and how can we know those things? I mean, there's not really a lot of places that give opportunity to bring kind of the sciences and the arts together in really meaningful ways. And so this is one of the contributions that we hope the Integrated Arts Research Initiative is making. Okay, so you've talked a little bit about presentation and art as being a medium for discussion and introspection. What about value? <laughs> well, I've always worked in the nonprofit world. And so uh, when I talk about value, what I hope we're talking about is added cultural value and the ability to explore new tools that allow ever-expanding communities to sort of author their own questions with the resources of the institution. I mean, for me, that that really is the goal. Who do you think the audience will be for this project? I mean, I don't know why I'm imagining a, a younger age participant, a younger generation being fascinated by this, although I'm fascinated. I'm not so young. So, And you know what? When I told my mother about this podcast that we were recording today, she said, oh, send me that one. And she doesn't listen to all my podcasts. So I was <laughs> kind of excited. <laughs> Well, if you're listening, hello, Lauren's mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, audience. Okay, so yeah, that's a good question. So uh, from my perspective, you know, as I've said, it's my job to sort of serve the research community. And so I definitely assume that researchers across the sciences and humanities and artists who are interested in blockchain and or technology and whatever other kind of questions and conversations are being advanced by the work as it as it moves forward. The Spencer also, of course, serves undergraduate and graduate students. We serve K through 12 students. We serve not just the community uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, where we are, but even all of the state of Kansas and the broader Kansas City community. I assume we're going to do something pretty cool. 
And we're working with some amazing people. So I imagine that we might expand our audiences, you know, beyond our region too. That's my hope. It sounds like this project really already has great momentum. Can you anticipate any challenges that you may face in putting all this together? I think we have a lot of cultural and humanities-based issues that are very important to the group. How those will and will not be able to conjoin with the technology, I think will probably be a constant challenge. So for instance, I'll give you an example of that actually, um, that we've already kind of talked to a little bit, which is that if we're trying to engage communities, community beliefs or histories or something like that, you know, how do you put meaning in a node instead of a number? We want users without specialized skills to be able to interact with this technology in meaningful ways. How can that happen, right? Do you think a year from now, we can invite your artists back on to discuss what they've actually created? Because I'm sure our listeners would love a follow-up on this, you know, exploration of emergence. I wish I could travel into the future and hear that show so I knew what was going to be happening in the next year. <laughs> but yes, of course, I invite you to um, to reach back out to us. I think it would be fun to do a check-in. Is there anything that I've not asked you that you would like to share with our listeners? As a sort of university-based nonprofit museum, our attitude toward blockchain technology is not is necessarily not celebratory, but rather critical. And what I mean by that is we want to understand what the possibilities and the challenges are for ourselves as human beings. And so we sort of, as a value, enter into the exploration of the technology with a kind of committed ambivalence so that we're not being cheerleaders, but we're being true researchers. That is a perfect place to bookmark this. Where do you want to send people to find out more So Google Spencer Museum of Art, and at the top of the page, there's a tab called Learn. And underneath Learn, you can hit the Integrated Arts Research Initiative, and you can find us there. Thank you, Joey, for bringing this to light for our audience, having us start to think about how the art world is looking at blockchain as a medium. I mean, this project sounds three feet off the ground for breakthroughs and the thinking that it's going to inspire. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. I was just going to say we're thrilled about the possibilities for this project and really appreciative of the support. I just, I love this mind-expanding conversation and having you on All About Blockchain and listeners, thank you for your continued willingness to explore with us. If you have any questions about this episode or any feedback for new episodes, please reach out to uberi at ripple.com. Bye for now. Bye for now.